Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio video coverage for Boston sports. I'm your host, Justin Poulin. Not with me today is John Duke. He's on vacation. He's out in the New Hampshire woods. And actually, I'm pretty sure he's stuck behind a fallen electrical pole and a bunch of wires. So good on him. He's forced into vacation. But don't worry. We've got a great guest for you today. It's going to be Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston. Quite frankly, Frankly, we've been on a roller coaster ride since draft night. Up, down, rumors, trade rumors, draft picks, crazy reaction. But I think at this point, it's important for us to take a step back. Obviously, on Saturday, another little roller coaster, maybe a mini one, Gerald Green gets signed, and we're thinking, big deal coming. But then Tyler Zeller gets signed. All right, maybe not a big deal. Are the Celtics done? Maybe most likely all signs in the eight ball are pointing in that direction. But as we all remember, and this date is burned into every diehard Celtics fan's memory, July 31st, 2007, that's when Kevin Garnett came to Boston in a trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So... Today, July 25th, we still have six days before we hit the end of July. It's certainly possible, and there's been a number of rumors, but I don't think that the Celtics are in any rush. We may have just seen them complete the roster that's going to be heading into training camp. We'll talk about all of this with Chris Forsberg coming up. But remember, we have been on an amazing roller coaster. It's time to take a step back. We're going to spend almost a full hour with Chris and really just take stock of the entire offseason. I'm not sure we had a chance to talk about every single thing that happened in full detail, including Al Horford, who really didn't even get his due at the time of the signing because it was, all right, we got Horford, now we're going to get Durant. So we're going to step back, we're going to take a look at the big picture, and just a reminder that you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter by following at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as your host, that's right, me, Justin, follow me at CSL underscore Justin and John is at CSL underscore Duke as well as the entire CLNS radio network at CLNS radio we've got a great Facebook page for you go to facebook.com backslash CLNS fans and also go to your app marketplace and download our app for iOS and Android just search for CLNS radio and don't forget our YouTube channel it's got high definition full-length locker room interviews and the garden report with one of our favorites here at CLNS radio Jared Weiss just go to youtube.com backslash CLNS radio I'm really excited for the show today today. I think you're going to enjoy it. Really, it's just an around the horn from draft night to today and all of the news from this past week, including Jay Crowder's comments on Kevin Durant really endearing himself to the Celtics fan uh, about that meeting with Kevin Durant and how he feels about that and also some comments about the other teams in the division and uh, comments coming back from Damari Carroll in Toronto. So, should be a lively one. Obviously, Jared Sullinger's moving on, and uh, we have Summer League to take a look at. 
All this and more in today's show. Just stay tuned. Real quick, a reminder about our sponsor, Fan Essentials. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Just check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, which should be the Celtics, and every month you get team gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so that you don't have to. And each one of these fan boxes comes fully packed with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan and prices start at just $34.99. Most importantly, you can support Celtics Stuff Live and save 30% on the first month of your own subscription, even if you're not one of our weekly winners, by using promo code CSL2016 at the checkout. Just go to fanessentials.net to get all the fan essentials that you need. Celtics Stuff Live, as you know if you've been listening to this show over the last two months, is giving away a free month. That's right, one free fan box each week to one of our listeners. And the way that you win that is retweet our show announcement with hashtag fan essentials. Make sure, though, that you're following at CSL underscore tweet live so we can send you a direct message with all the details to claim your prize. And we announce the winners on every week's show. So this week's winner is going to be PMJ on Twitter at Fair Godfather. So just make sure if you're listening that you're following us. Follow at CSL underscore tweet live. If you're not PMJ, I am going to tweet out that you're the winner, but just make sure that you're coming back at us. I can get you the information so that you can claim your free month of Celtics gear. Pretty exciting stuff here on Celtics Stuff Live. And again, I'm really ready to get into it with this week's esteemed guest, Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, back on the show joining us again chris it's uh it's good to have you it seems like maybe things are winding down a little bit but we'll certainly see we know the kevin garnett trade wasn't executed until uh july 31st back some nine years ago now but the signings this weekend i know nine years can you believe it it went fast real it's It's totally think that (laughs) it's a decade it is a decade, so that I mean, pretty much, you know, I'm embellishing a year, but it's a decade. <laughs> Do Gerald Green and Tyler Zeller essentially round out the roster? I, I can only see two scenarios. You tell me what you think. I see one scenario where it's sort of a sign to whoever they're negotiating with that they're willing to pull back and and just wait mm-hmm. for things to roll out in the season, or it really is the white flag. Hey. We're killing ourselves trying to make a deal that just isn't going to happen. So we give, and let's just start looking forward to next season. What do, what do you think there? Yeah, I think it, it, it's probably right in between those two somewhere, where it's like, you know, they had that essentially a deadline on Saturday to, to finish Zeller up before things got kind of messy and trying to figure out how to, to keep him around without, uh, you know, with qualifying offers and all that. So, they uh, they took the necessary steps to ensure that they will have a complete and deep roster, regardless of what happens from here. It's just like you said, it doesn't eliminate the chance that nothing will happen, but it's sort of like, this is when the league definitely downshifts. This is when the league, everyone's kind of like the rest of us, trying to go on vacation, trying to enjoy a little bit of August before things start cranking back up in September. And that doesn't mean that some GMs will get restless and look at their roster over the next week and say, you know, maybe we really got to pull the move, pull the trigger on a move here, and you know, let's let's give Boston one more call and see what can happen. But you know, I, I think we know all along it, it doesn't feel 
like anything has been super close. Feels like that we've heard a lot more, especially around Boston and uh, the, around the Celtics, more rumblings than is actually happening. And I just think the Celtics uh, we're, we're looking at this roster and saying, you know, okay, if we do have to go into the season with this core, with this group as assembled, how can how can we how can they add a little bit more depth and sort of give themselves the best chance of being competitive? Uh, if no other moves go down. And so you bring Tyler Zeller back, you get the depth at the big man spot. You add that sort of big center that, that, that they needed on the roster. And then you get Gerald Green, who gives you a little bit of a, an old school look. We, we can tie it together to the, to the top of the show. Like you were saying about Kevin Garnett, the fact that he was dealt out in that deal, uh, gives you a little bit of extra depth at that, at that swing man spot. And we'll see, you know, if that's enough. I, I think, the one thing I'll, I'll caution is Celtics fans that are sort of still clinging to the idea of, well, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something else. There's all these guys on the roster. You know, remember, the Celtics are content to roll the ball out there in training camp, let the back end of the guy, roster guys kind of go at it for the final spot. And there's always the February deadline. There's always a chance to make moves if you if you, if you you get in the season and, and find yourself either closer than you thought or, or more distant than you thought. I just think they're, they've sort of – like you said, they're they're just they're they're putting themselves in the best position possible as you can in late July, and and they'll see what happens from here. Well, it really has been an off season of roller coasters. I can't remember a time, and again, I'm completely comfortable with laying it out there that I do this show and I watch this team 100% from a fan's perspective. I just like to consider myself a slightly more educated uh, and usually more emotionally regulated fan, although I can tell you (laughs) I got completely carried away with Kevin Durant. But if you go to draft night and the swing that was draft night, all the excitement and enthusiasm, and then this perceived letdown and the questions about Yabuselli being drafted at 16 and what's going on here and then we go right in and we have Al Horford and he gets acquired and then I definitely dare to dream Kevin Durant is going to come here and I think a lot of this focus on getting this free agent is appeasing the roller coaster we've been on because I can tell you and I've settled back in and I'm far more comfortable going forward with with simply looking at this as the rebuild but I think before the draft night I think people were still fairly comfortable with the rebuild, and people have warmed up to Jalen Brown. But, you know, I'm going to cite a quote from from an earlier podcast today right here on CLNS Radio's network, but Adam Himmelsbach of The Globe was on with Larry H. Russell, and he said, look at all the quotes coming out with these free agent, I mean, these trade rumors. You know, they're really all just coming from, well, somebody in another organization says the Celtics have had conversations. That's kind of a no duh, right? But, uh, and, and sometimes it's not even the—it's not even like someone in another organization. It's like some guy, a car dealer on the internet, or someone who, uh, you know, with with crazy Twitter handles and 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 egg photos are, are reporting those rumblings they heard from a guy who knows a guy. It's uh, I don't know. It's been kind of funny to to watch, and I agree. I think in in the grander scheme, you really summed it up well for Celtics fans, right? Like it's been a roller coaster. I think the hardest part for Celtics fans to this point has been the the sort of their expectations have been built up because of all those rumblings and again, we don't know how serious those ever were 
and so there is a little bit of a letdown, and so you take that, you, you know, you're done the downswing of that roller coaster, and then they make a move, and you, you maybe see Jalen Brown play, and up, up here we're coming back up, but then we get new rumblings, and and so the, the roller coaster starts going back down when those get shut down. It's it, it's it's been a, a wild ride, and even I think the funniest part of it all has been if you told Celtics fans a year ago that they were going to sign Al Horford, who arguably one of the top three free agents on the open market this season and have at least a chance to, to, to make a really strong pitch to Kevin Durant. Like people would have been like laughing at you. It like, yes, we'll take that. That, that would be the best possible off season. And then it happened and people were like disappointed that they didn't get Durant that, you know, it was almost overshadowed the signing of Horford. And now I think just like you said, it, it's sort of like fans are, 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 are taking the step back. They're looking at this roster now and they're saying, Hey, this team won 48 games. They added Al Horford. There's some holes that, that or questions left from the departures. You know, you, you, you feel pretty comfortable that Horford is going to fill what you're losing in Jared Sollinger, but you still have a big void there with Evan Turner, but you like what you saw from Terry Rozier at summer league. You're hopeful that Marcus smart makes that third year jump that we, that everyone's kind of waiting for. And, you know, there, there, there's reason to be optimistic. There's reason to think that this is a 50-plus win team that can make some noise in, in an Eastern Conference that, you know, while on paper a lot of these teams added guys and, and are intriguing, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. So I think people are just kind of they're, – they're coming back. That, 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 that crazy roller coaster is stabilizing. And it'll go back out of control when the season starts coming around and, and maybe when we have our first exhibition game and – you know, Horford runs a nice pick and roll with Isaiah Thomas and people lose their mind and, and think, uh, you know, start lining up the, the duck boats or whatever it may be. But it's, uh, if you can, if you can, if you're, if you're still a Celtics fan, who's on that low part of the roller coaster, or maybe if you're just take a step back, like look at this from a big picture perspective. I think the Celtics did a, did an admirable job and particularly just in kind of maintaining that flexibility to still do something. And I don't know if that's going to be now or later or whenever, but, uh, it, they, they, they put themselves in a good spot. Well, you're really reading my mind because while I'm still holding out hope, not a hope, not hope, because I'm in the rebuild camp at this point. I want to nice. take it nice and slow and let them compete for the positions. And I've gotten a sense from the tone of your tweets and articles that you're in the same place with that. And I feel like that's maybe got more longevity to it and a little bit less risk in terms of injuries or not being able to keep a guy in Boston. There's something about being drafted into the organization and some loyalty that you'll get out of that that I think can reap dividends. But I won't sleep soundly on that approach, well, probably ever, but I definitely won't sleep soundly until July 31st. Having said that, all this focus, all this roller coaster, all these deals, two thoughts on Horford. The first, is this a disservice to Horford? I mean, really, he's just, it was a huge signing. It really was the biggest change. Within 24 hours, Celtics fans forgot about how important and how rare and what a big statement that signing was. Is this was it a little bit of a disservice to him? Yeah, I almost feel bad. Like you know, you, you hear the the buzz right when he got signed was about how much he he loves Boston and the fans were part of the reason he wants to come here. And then he's probably you know they're not they 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 hear the buzz. They they might not be as into it as 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 us diehards and reporters who are around it every day. But you know, he, he certainly probably got the sense like, hey, wait, what what about me? You know, I, 
so ramp pursuit is great and we sort of knew all along it was a long shot like you still got al horford and i'm, I'm sure he's sitting there and uh i don't think he'll use it necessarily as motivation but again i think it's it, he's going to be uh, he'll be more embraced when people finally see him out on the court and re- and are reminded of uh of the positive impact he can have now hey listen there's the normal caveats here he's 30 years old um you can he hasn't ha- existed outside of that that comfort zone uh, in Atlanta, uh, but I think we can all agree that it's an upgrade for the Celtics. That um, not to pigeonhole Brad Stevens, but if if we're being honest, he's probably the ideal center for the way they've played in Brad's tenure so far. And you just sort of like the idea of him stretching the floor offensively, what he can bring defensively to a team that lingered in the top three defensively. There's an awful lot to like about what Horford can do here. It's just going to take, again, until we see it on the court, then fans are going to kind of, it'll, it'll be that reminder until then it's, it's only natural during the off season. You want as much as you, as you can get. I'm not calling Celtics fans greedy, but Hey, you're in a position where the Celtics have all these assets. You can understand why people want as much as they can get. Um, it, it's, it's neat to see people sort of, like we said, we keep saying here, keep coming back to it, but kind of remembering, well, Oh, Hey, you know, someone, someone was pretty good when you, when you get one of the top free agents on the market. Yeah. It, you know, you don't want to call them greedy, but I'll say gluttons with 17 banners in the Raptors. <laughs> we're, we're gluttons. And, and as is true for the new England mentality, gluttons for punishment as well. So that, that gluttony, that gluttony knows no success boundary and no failure boundary. It's a wide spectrum, which is why we're so susceptible to those roller coasters. All right, so here's the sec- second thought on Al Horford. And again, maybe another little bit of a disservice, but I just want to bring some perspective here. So he's 30, and because he's the oldest man on the roster, all of a sudden 30 is old. <laughs> is old, right? Know, remember, how old was, was Kevin Garnett when we acquired him? 30, 31, right? Right. Ray Allen was what, 34? Yeah, much older. Yeah, it would be three years older, right? Two years older? Yeah. It's like, it's uh, it's so easy to forget. It's like, you know, even even we sit there and we say these guys are old, like, is Jerebko old? He's, what, 29, going to be 30? Demir Johnson's been in the league forever, but he's still 29, you know? It's uh, it, it, on, a, on a roster that has a bunch of 19 and 20 year olds. It's, it's easy to call the 30 year old guy old, but some would say this is sort of the back end of his prime and there's nothing wrong with that. So no changes really in the backcourt except for Evan Turner, but Al Horford obviously brings something to the offense, which is where they really need improvement. But it's like, how much better can they get on defense? They were already the number three defense. All the perimeter defenders are still here. Avery Bradley will be healthy, and Jay Crowder is going to be all set. That high ankle sprain, some interesting quotes this past week about him as well, But and we'll get to that. But a number three defense adds Al Horford, and the person that was playing in that spot was Jared Sullinger or Kelly Olynyk, and at the beginning of the year, this mishmash of Zeller or David Lee. Can they become the number one defense in the league? I, you know, like I, I'd love to say they can't, but like there's no reason they they shouldn't. 
I think I do think you know when you look at the numbers from last season, the, the first unit defense, at least the, the defensive rating they had, sort of leaps out at you just because they did give up a, a, a higher amount of points than you might expect that a, a number three team would um, in terms of points per 100 possessions. It was just higher because they did play at a high uh, a, a, a high pace rate. They did have the ability to offset that scoring because Isaiah Thomas obviously gives you a little bit more. Uh, the second unit was so good defensively that it sort of uh, helped that number a lot. But now, like you said, you throw Horford in there, um, and we don't know how exactly that front court will look, but I guess it really doesn't matter. You know, you feel pretty comfortable that with uh, Crowder and Bradley on the floor, you got Marcus Smart rolling in probably as an early sub, like that, that defense is really good uh, over the first part of the game, and it's going to really give them a chance, regardless of how their offense plays, to be in games each night. And I think if you're a Celtics fan, that's really encouraging. You know, the, this team still has to obviously learn how to, to, to be better overall at shooting, and, and I think we all know that. And Brad Stevens says at every chance we've we've talked to him this summer that you know shooting, whether it's going and getting shooters or developing some shooters, they need to get better there. But, you know, for for a coach who wants defense to be the backbone, to, to add someone like Horford to that back line, uh, I'm interested to see it. I, like, I, I, don't, I don't know how exactly it, it'll bear itself out, but you got a good feeling that the Celtics will at least give themselves a chance to linger in that top three, uh, and that gives you a chance to win games, and, and that's, a, that's a really encouraging sign. So here's what I'm batting around in my head, because towards the end of the season, Jay Crowder was doing a much better job of attacking the basket, not just playing great D and that three and D role, but he was starting to generate offense right up until the high ankle sprain to score. Now they've added a number three pick who's definitely going to get some minutes this year in Jalen Brown. And by bringing in Horford, you still have a great defender, but somebody who can space the floor. I wonder if Amir Johnson is even going to be in the starting lineup. He, I, I'm assuming he will be because he's solid in his veteran presence. Um, but he also sort of tries to manage, you know, his his uh, pain and his injuries and trying to keep things at bay over the course of the season. When you look at how Jarebko played in the postseason, and then hopefully Kelly Olynyk's shoulder surgery will go successful. I know it's going to be coming right up on training camp, so he could start out rusty. But Jarebko's earned significant minutes, and he's a vet who's going to know what to do on the floor next to Horford. I could almost see Brad putting Amir in off the bench and then putting in two forward centers, Horford and, you know, playing Jarebko at the four even because he did rebound or bringing in Kelly Olenek once he's healthy and just letting these Jay Crowders, Jalen Brown space the floor for Thomas. Do you think that's possible or do you think he's going to stay steadfast in keeping Amir Johnson in the starting lineup? No, I've, I've sort of subscribed to what you're thinking, and, and it, it would be a little bit easier to project if, if Olenek was healthy, because I do kind of wonder if there's a if there's an Olenek-Horford combo that makes sense and uh, and really kind of space things out uh, for that first unit. You know, it comes down to could the could the rebounding sustain? The one thing you're going to worry about with 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 moving from Horford to from, from Solinger to Horford is there's going to be a drop off in rebounding. Horford is just not quite as, as obviously, and very few players are as elite as Jared was on the glass, and, and they've got some obvious issues there. 
to to tighten up. But you know the drop off the the, the the counterpoint to that is that the defense gets better overall. That you know again you're you're going to look a little bit different. Um, the defense should be good enough where you're generating better rebound opportunities. You shouldn't be scrambling as much. And so uh, I do wonder. Well, I think it'll be more played out in the in the preseason when Bray gets to start putting these combos together. You know, I, we know they love going small. Wouldn't surprise me in the least if they uh, if they toy with some sort of small ball lineup. Um, I think we under if they could find a way to get by by adding Marcus Smart and making him play at that three position. I think there's. I, I, if nothing else, we're going to see that lineup a lot, and you bump Jay to the four, and then all of a sudden you've got your three best defenders or four best defenders on the court at the same time with Isaiah. And I just I think that I think that group in particular has potential to be really really good. Uh, and I like the idea of, of Amir being like you said, you know, he, he didn't play a lot of minutes last year, and sort of getting to ease him into that that bench role and still maintaining the defensive level when he rolls in and he's got enough versatility to play with any other big you throw out there. So, you know, if you're paying Tyler Zeller $8 million and you, you want to go big on some nights, you can pair him with Amir and not worry about, you know, the, 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 the uh, how it's going to work and how it's going to look. Um, you, you can throw whatever you want out there with Amir on the second unit and, and go small with him at the, uh, with another like Jarebko type at the four uh, I just think there's a lot of potential there with uh, and versatility by utilizing Amir off the bench. But that being said, you also remember back to the playoffs, and he was really, really good against the Hawks and really kind of carried the team in that front court. Wouldn't be surprised if he tr- if he at least made a case to uh, to stick in the starting lineup. But again, it's going to come down to how it looks visually when you when you get him and Horford out there together. So you mentioned Zeller, and we're going to get we're going to round out the incoming and outgoing players. Uh, but first, I want to say that last year I felt like Brad Stevens was tinkering with the lineup, and the way that the season ended, it may have cost them seeding position. Which really, again, you mentioned the matchup against the Hawks was not the most favorable matchup. I mean, probably other than Cleveland, it was the worst possible first-round postseason matchup. I'm almost a fan of, while you and I are kind of batting around this Amir Johnson, I'm a fan of let's keep the starting lineup and the rotations as much intact from the end of last season as possible heading into this year and then work in the pieces as it makes sense. This team is gelled so well. There's a chance that they could run some numbers up on some teams and in those cases figure out how do the new pieces fit. The only exception to that would be Al Horford, but you're really just taking out Sully and putting in Horford, leave it alone, and then let's make sure that we don't wind up having all these losses to start a season. I almost think Brad learned something from that, and they had a luxury last year of doing that. They had some new faces, and that that power forward center really wasn't locked down. But I think this year they could sort of run with that a little bit and then begin to tweak it, and and injuries always create opportunity anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, Brad calls it corporate knowledge, right? Like, and the the part of the reason the Spurs and and teams that have been together so long are good is because you can sort of have this backbone this this knowledge that you enter a season with and it makes it a little bit easier to integrate the new faces and kind of learn on the fly and change on the fly because everyone has this base of knowledge that they can already build off of so it's not like you're starting with with five new faces every year now you're you've got 
now what 18 months with Isaiah Thomas, even though it seems like he's been here forever. It's, it, it's still easy to forget, you know, it's only a couple of February's ago that he arrives and uh, all these guys are a little bit more comfortable. They've played together. Um, sure. You got to integrating Al Horford is, is, is going to be a little bit of a, of a process, but like you said, it's just sort of replacing a role that uh, a somewhat similar player played. And so you can sort of put him into Sully's positions and know that, um, that Horford's gonna gonna fit right in, and, and he's going to probably pick it up pretty quickly. Uh, you're pretty confident in that. I think the biggest issue, and and not to jump the gun if we're going there, but like is just with the second unit is obviously filling the Evan Turner role. And again, we'll go back to what what we set up at the start. It's you're hopeful that Marcus Smart makes a leap, you give him more minutes, that Rozier can take some of the ball handling responsibilities. Jalen Brown will obviously get integrated. You're, you're going to kind of cobble together Evan's departure. But I think we all knew that is that one, the Celtics were unlikely to bring back Evan because of the fact that they could only offer him so much money and that he was likely to find a team like Portland who backed up the Brinks truck for him. But now you have a chance to sort <laughs> Good of reference. Give, yeah. You know, I'm sure Isaiah will like that one. And then you have a chance now for, uh, your younger guys to finally sort of elevate. And, you know, you need that because if Marcus Smart's going to make the jump that everybody wants him to make, that this is a chance now. This is They're saying, you know, hey, Celtics just lost their, their sixth man of the year candidate. They need someone to step up and play a big minute role. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I want to say Evan was, within, you know, one of the top, at least even though he wasn't a starter, was probably among the top three or four guys in terms of minutes. Uh, Bradley super heavy on him, especially in the fourth quarters. So there's going to be a chance for someone like like Marcus to step up, and sure, some of those minutes will get dispersed other ways. Like Al Horford is going to play more big man minutes than any of Boston's bigs did last season. Uh, but I, I, if they can figure that out, if they can get guys to step up and fill that Evan role, you know, there's a lot of uh, like you said, there's a chance to really hit the ground running here. And while the rest of the East sort of has has really re- reinvented itself, you know. The Knicks got to figure out what they're doing. It feels like Orlando signed 50 big men. Indiana's got some new faces. Like teams that will they'll, they will Chicago. Be yeah, exactly. Old you know, friend you know. Rajon Rondo, it's crazy. <laughs> and it, it, it is just, a big shake up. It's just it's going to take those teams you would hope it would take those teams longer to kind of figure out their identity whereas the Celtics have this this that that corporate knowledge that Brad has talked about, easy to forget, you know, what was it, just two seasons ago, 41 different guys through the doors. Last year, a lot less turnover, but um, it, it's still, you know, it, it's still in the process of, of letting this core get settled. Uh, and that's, again, that's that's part of the reason that while some will be upset there, there was no trade, it, one of the benefits is, is continuing the development of this core and hoping that having been together will well, that familiarity breeds a little bit more success this year. And you avoid the situation, just like you said, where you come down to the end of the season and some archaic tiebreaker gives you uh, gives you the toughest matchup possible. Well, parallel to this sort of dialogue about continuity is also culture, and that's a vote in the stick with the rebuild versus swigging for the fences camp, I believe. However, you brought up Evan Turner, and we, ha- we, ha- we do have to talk about the two outgoing players, Jared Sullinger and Evan Turner. But probably one of the big keys 
to culture on this team was Evan Turner. And I think he was the icebreaker piece. I mean, I know a lot of the players in the locker room were very easygoing and they got along together, but there are a lot of intense personalities. As 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 charming as Isaiah Thomas is, he's an intense personality. Jay Crowder, we'll get to him, is extremely intense, wears his heart <laughs> on his sleeve. But and and as for all the faults of Jared Sullinger Two of the goofier, fun-loving, ice-breaking, stress-relieving personalities in the locker room were Sully and Turner. So how much does that shift the dynamic of the culture that's going on in the Celtics locker room this season? Yeah, Well, some of it will depend on, how, on what kind of leader Horford is. And I'm, I'm just assuming from, from watching from afar with Atlanta that he's sort of that quiet leader-type guy. But... You know, he has been to nine straight playoffs, and he's going to be the oldest guy on the on the roster. And, uh, uh, you know, I guess I'd have to check that, like Gerald Green's age. But um, it, it, he'll be the veteran presence. And so I think that will, will give you sort of that guy to lean on in the locker room. Uh, he won't replace Evan Turner's quote Rolodex, but uh, Boston media members will just have to figure out how to, to, to muddle through now. Uh, I, I don't know who will step up and fill that void, but we do need a guy who is and, – and, and, and that I, I don't think that – maybe I'm biased because of, of, of the job, but um, I do think that's important that you had someone who was willing to step up in front of the microphones before every game, before wins, before losses, you know, after wins and after losses. Uh, Evan took that responsibility, and sure, he had fun with it and, and – and, you know, filled our notebooks with great stuff, but he was also, there was a time when he was serious and, and understood the gravity of situations and you need someone who can step up in those situations, uh, especially when, you know, the road gets bumpy and you have to kind of explain why the team is struggling. That's, uh, that's something that someone's going to do. It's sort of, it, 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 it's lost in the value of Evan Turner and, and, and what he brought to this team. I don't know necessarily about, you know, the, the, both him and Sully obviously were lighter in the locker room. We'll see how that plays itself out. I still think there's there's plenty of, of easygoing personalities, and uh, a lot of these guys are uh, – there's a, you don't have to worry about, I don't think, necessarily about the chemistry in the locker room because it feels like that's been pretty good uh, for the last 18 months and, or, or whatever it is since, since Isaiah's arrival. And um, it'll be different now. Again, I'm, I'm interested to see how it, it plays out with Horford and, and, and how – he changes the dynamic of it or, or does it get quieter? Or does it, you know, do you guys stay loose? It, it, it'll be interesting, but I, I think there's a, his presence will, should be a uh, sort of that quiet veteran leader that, that will help this young team. Well, and hopefully I didn't insult the kid Evan Turner by lumping him in with Jared Sullinger, but let's look at this. Tyler Zeller, 8 million a year. It's a one in one deal. And then Jared goes and gets six million on a one-year deal with the Raptors, and just based on contributions to this Celtics team last year, that doesn't seem equitable. And I have two two thoughts on that. One is Jared Sullinger. There's some some maturity issues there that I think you know subtly or obvious in some ways. Even listening to some of the quotes from we talked about this on last week's show, but some of the quotes from his. Uh, summer workout, he's saying, I just don't even know if I can do it again this year. It was such it was such a, an enormous task last year. So you, you wonder about maturity or drive. That's a little, you know. But the other thing is, I think Tyler Zeller was a potential 
sign-and-trade piece in any kind of big deal. And I think he committed to the Celtics that he would wait that out but instead of exploring free agency and that the Celtics promised him and his agent that, hey, listen, if it doesn't work out, we're still going to give you a nice chunk of change to stick around. So you're going to be looking at the 8 to $12 million range either with the Celtics or with another club, but you're going to get your payday. Can you sit tight? Uh, your thoughts on that? Do you lean one or do you say both are probably true? Yeah, no, I think both are true. I think it's been well documented that Jared's tenure here was frustrating for the team, and it it sort of hit the it, it came to a head last uh, right before the end of last season when they sort of challenged him to get in shape, and I think they they were disappointed because you know we so we saw so much on you know social media about how hard he was working, and then he came back and we're all sitting there going, does he look different? You know, and and if you're even asking that, then that's a problem because this was supposed to be the summer where he really dedicated himself, and uh, it was hard to tell if there was many changes. And so, for whatever reason, he just wasn't able to get himself into the sort of shape that the team desired, and I think that was frustrating for them, uh, and and most certainly played a part in his in his departure. Where you know, are you going to pay big money to a to a guy who? in a contract year in a year where, you know, we knew there was going to be crazy contracts this summer. Like Jared should have been one of the guys out there getting Evan Turner money, <laughs> you know, and, and let Evan be the torchbearer for what uh, this summer could, could have produced for guys. And the fact that Jared just was unable to get to that point and put himself in that point, it's like, well, if you can't do it with, with a, with, with a big contract and, and challenged by the team, is he ever going to, and listen, Jared might go to, to, to the Raptors and thrive, and he's clearly got obvious skills, well beyond just what we've mentioned with rebounding. He's a very talented player, someone who obviously slid to the Celtics in the draft, uh, and is going to be someone that is going to be tough to replace, even with the addition of, of Horford. But, um, you know, if you're the Celtics and you're looking at the long-term future, it just didn't make sense to, to commit those that money without – knowing that you you felt confident in that investment so we'll see from there and then with zeller it's funny because i asked jay the other day i said you just signed five years 35 million you know you're gonna have guys role players that come in and are earning in some cases you know evan will i mean uh the tyler won't be much higher than him but it's still you got a guy who was 25 dnps last year who is earning more than your all-star point guard and you you know one of your kind of fringe all-star type guys in Jay Crowder and so it, it it's is that going to cause conflict in the locker room is that going to be tough for guys and at least for Jay's credit he said hey listen I signed that deal I'm still a millionaire I'm still making good money I'm making 7 million should I be mad at a guy if he's making 8 or 10 million uh, you know, the, when when this is what the league has, has brought and he's sort of looking already a couple of years down the road when he can either renegotiate and, and extend his deal or he can uh, you know, start thinking about a free agency when he gets there and still be in his prime years. Um, I think that those things will work themselves out. Uh, but just like you said, I think the Celtics rewarded Zeller in part for – as diligent as he was and staying ready last year. And, and, you know, we kept hearing about how he was one of the first guys in the gym 
on off days because, you know, he just wanted to stay ready, even though he was in a very frustrating situation with that cr- cr- uh, crowded front court. Uh, and the Celtics obviously sort of give themselves a little bit of a, a of another asset with this deal. Um, if you're looking ahead to, to potential trades, you know, if you get to the trade deadline, you're looking to get a guy who's, who's making in that $8 million ballpark range, or you need to cobble together some contracts and, you know, another te- being able to offer a team someone on a non-guaranteed deal, even if it's not until next offseason, is still an asset. So there's a benefit there for the Celtics, even if, uh, you know, some people will look at the salaries right now and go, how is that possible? All right, so the other player that remains with that is Gerald Green in terms of incoming players. And he sort of ties into this conversation because maturity was a big question mark with Gerald Green. So off goes Jared Sullinger probably very mentally in a similar place as when Gerald left the Celtics many years ago. Uh, you did mention his age, and amazingly, he's only 30. He's the same age wow. as, as Al Horford, but it just seems so long ago because he was drafted out of high school. But but I guess the, the point that I would go here is, you know, the kick in the butt for Gerald might just be the one that he needs by this scenario playing out and him winding up with the Raptors. I'm concerned that he might be a player that really has to hit rock bottom. And it's as we know, it's very difficult to dig your way out of that rock bottom and back into the league, uh, just based on numerous players who have struggled like that. But Gerald is one of those players. He is potentially, you know, lots of talent, lots of ability, just never able to quite put it together. So it's almost curious to me, because I know he had, two years ago he had a great season with Phoenix, but do you think Gerald's, you know, kind of in that Evan Turner position, only if Evan Turner was more of a veteran where they're going to bring him in and, and maybe Brad is, this is his, that's this year's reclamation project? Yeah, I was just about to say that was the term I was going to use. We we know that Brad has a history of taking either, you know, underperforming or or frustrated or low point guys and and kind of giving them a little bit of a jolt. And whether that's Jordan Crawford or Evan Turner, uh, there's plenty of examples of Brad finding a way to to tap into what a guy does really well and making it shine. And so, you know, before the Celtics finalized this roster. Uh, insider was ranking the top available guys and J.R. Smith was, was the number one guy. And so it got me thinking like, you know, obviously J.R. Smith is insanely polarizing and people were absolutely against it because of his history and, and the off court stuff. Um, and his particularly his run in with, with Jay Crowder on the court where he cold cocked them in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And so people were, were adamant against that, but I'm looking at it trying to divorce the emotional part of it. And I'm saying, well, here's a guy who shot 40% while taking over 500 three-pointers last season, and you're weak in a, an opposing rival. Like, there's a benefit to a guy like that. Well, only 24 hours later, self-decided Gerald Green, and I sit there and I look, and two seasons ago, shot 40% from three-point while shooting over 500 threes. You're technically weaking in a uh, conference rival in Miami by, by taking him away. And Gerald was very good for the heat down the stretch there last season. So I see a benefit to this signing. I don't know exactly how it'll play itself out and where the minutes will come from. But if the playoffs taught us anything last season, it's that depth is necessary. Avery Bradley goes down and the Celtics 
had to scramble a bit and you had Terry Rozier and I was at Jay Hunter playing minutes and, and those, some of those young guys weren't quite ready for that stage. Uh, I think the Celtics liked the idea of, of bringing in Gerald, seeing what you can build off of, seeing how Brad can utilize him and, and try to get him back to the player he was a couple of seasons ago. There's obviously the, the, uh, the issues that, that Gerald's had some rough patches and, and, and even since, getting back into the NBA level. You know, we all remember the stories down in, down in Miami. And uh, so he'll, he'll have to, 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 you know, kind of prove himself again, but sometimes that's good. Sometimes you want those guys who, who have a bit of a chip on their shoulder and who are playing, you know, on a minimum contract and playing for their, maybe his last contract or his last big contract, at least if he can reestablish himself a bit. So I, I think that's a, that's a to sort of give you, if you had to, pick a guy that, that, or pick a sort of a type of player that can help in, 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 or, or at least fits well with the, uh, the sort of player you need to, 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 to throw into that middle of that depth chart. I think that's, it, 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 it's got potential to, to, to pay dividends for the Celtics, especially when you consider, you know, the league plays a portion of his contract. So they're paying like $900,000, which in a $94 million cap is like, less than 1%. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's certainly a good roll of the dice. Well, and speaking of roller coasters and in the context of this off season, Saturday was certainly a kitty coaster ride because you hear that, Oh, 9am Gerald green got signed. And you're thinking the trade is a coming. And then <laughs> just a few hours later, it's Tyler Zeller. And you're like, Oh, they are all done. So, it's just, you know, it's just been funny the way that that's all played out. But Gerald Green really is the opposite of the identity that this team has had. He shoots threes and doesn't play defense. Uh, if that doesn't fit a need on a low-cost deal, I don't know what does. High, high risk, no. Low risk, potentially very high reward when they need that spark plug in. It's funny, though, because every time I look at a depth chart, everybody is throwing him in at shooting guard, but he's six foot seven. I kind of pose this out on Twitter, but nobody replied to me. That must mean I'm boring and I ask dumb questions. But I have to, <laughs> right, because Twitter, I, you know, that's how I know what my identity is. I use Twitter to, you know, build me up. And, and So anyway, all I'm going to say is, why don't they list him as small forward in the depth chart? Is it because he doesn't play defense? It's just weird to me because he's 6'7". I know he's a little bit lighter than Jalen Brown, but really I see him more at that at that three spot than I do at the two, and especially the way that the Celtics are constructed. Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly how they, they utilize him. I think you know, there's a, certainly a case to be made because of the way the Celtics depth chart looks, and you you, you go from Jay Crowder and then, gets a little thin there because you know Jalen Brown's going to be a rookie and, and they need more, more definitive help at the swing spot than necessarily at the two guard spot. Um, I just think based on Gerald's sort of career history, he's sort of bounced between both positions and because of his, his shooting, maybe he, he's more, like you said too, the, the defensive aspect of it and, and maybe having to guard those sort of guys at times has made him more of a, uh, listed as more of a shooting guard. But, you know, the way you got to look at it is that Brad doesn't classify these guys by, you know, type of point guards, usually ball handlers, wings, swings, bigs, you know, he'll fit right into that, that wing position. And, uh, you know, the other, the big story, and I'm, again, I might jump your, your question here, but it, what does this mean for guys like James Young and, and, and RJ Hunter? It's sure doesn't seem like a vote of confidence for the younger guys, and when you consider that the, the the Celtics now have, 
I believe it's 18 guys, at least under partial or, or contracts. And, uh, you know, you, you're, you're looking at a situation where they're going to roll the ball out there at training camp. And if you're a guy who's less than three years experience, it's sort of like you're playing for your job. And now we know John Holland is going to be a long shot to make this roster. And, and, and Ben Bentio will have uh, an uphill climb. Um, but still someone in that James Young, RJ Hunter mix is competing for a job here with Joe Green's arrival. And that sort of flies in the face of what you might think necessarily with, with the rebuild and, and letting these younger guys distinguish themselves. But I really think the Celtics like the idea of, of promoting competition. And we've seen this in, in past years with they're not afraid to load up with 20 guys in camp and sort of force these guys to, to, to battle for their spots. And so uh, I think the insinuation here is like, hey, if you're a guy like James Young, you've been in the league for, for three years now, and this is your third year, time to, to show that progress. Uh, and we haven't seen it yet, at least in summer league. And so uh, I think it's it's a good opportunity for these guys to push each other. I'll be interested to see how uh, they respond to that competition. Does you know RJ Hunter feel additional pressure, even though he's only a second year guy? And um, does James Young get finally get some sort of motivation to 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 show some progress? Uh, training camp could be a lot of fun. I mean, there's going to be a lot of positional battles. Uh, and because these guys are, are going back to Green's versatility, it's going to make them compete for those minutes. And, and I, I, I'm intrigued by, by how it will all play out. Well, you know, it's so interesting because normally Summer League is pretty inconsequential. And it just happens to be that the, there's a serious numbers game here. I was surprised by how many picks did get signed. Demetrius Jackson, you know, Ben, is it Ben Bentil or Ben Ben? I I so. I don't even, I, I, uh, I, once they make the roster, then I learn their names. Yeah, no, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm not <laughs> sure which way. I've said Bentil all along, but all of a sudden I started hearing Ben Teal. So I was like, maybe I got that <laughs> wrong. But, you know, Yabusile, I got that right away, but I can't there, get Bentil. Exactly. Ben but, but anyway, you know, before we get to Crowder, you make a, you make a really good point about Summer League. And I think training camp will also be very exciting. The Celtics have done a nice job of giving us plenty to talk about, plenty to engage fans this way. I think that's really positive for the brand. And and even, again, just to cite another show from today, and this was more in Larry uh, H. Russell's discussion with Michael Lee, but just the fact that it really seems like the news cycle for the NBA is almost 12 months. It's probably 11 Ten and a half, but for the most part, they find a way to stay in the news. But the Celtics have done a really good job of making that news intriguing over and over. And in today's world of media, that's a real strength for that brand that's already has a worldwide presence, real deep roots, Australia, Italy. It's, you know, the listeners of this show from all over the world. It's amazing. But I will say, you mentioned a couple of guys on the way out. I want to go to Terry Rozier because he had an awesome performance in Summer League. Probably should have been first team. He kind of got snubbed a little bit with the awards, the way he played. Noticed in Game 1, he really looked like he was under control. And a lot of his comments about other players were that, just wait till the game slows down for them. I know Jalen Brown was one, but he mentioned some of his other counterparts that they just need to slow down and let the game come to them. That's a very mature thing to say. It definitely highlights his growth. But we know that Summer League has always benefited 
guards, quick guards, guards that can shoot the outside ball and pass and attack the rim. Terry did all of that. He had a nice showing in the postseason, but while Gerald Green may be the role of Evan Turner reclamation project, we actually are sort of assuming from the summer league performance that Terry Rozier is going to be the one to truly take the minutes and be a little bit of that Swiss Army knife. Are we getting overhyped about summer league, or do you think that's a legit possibility in terms of Terry Rozier's role heading into next season? Before I get to Terry, I'm going to go backwards because I thought you brought up a great point. My golf game is suffering because the NBA news cycle never <laughs> ends. And to speak to your point about ruined by Fourth of July, ruined. Oh my God! Fourth of July, completely. I sat there just looking at at pictures of people at barbecues being angry because I was not at any of them. But legit, legit thought I might get a divorce. No, not legit. (laughs) But I'm telling you, like it was very, it was a dysfunctional weekend. The stupid Twitter thing. So you had to do it because it was your job. I had to do it because I'm an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, to speak to the the way that Celtics fans are are crazy about all these guys, I still get like three emails a week on Colton Iverson and how why aren't they bringing him back over to be the starting center? And like they don't need Zeller because Iverson is is just waiting in the wings. And you know it it, it is great. I I what's going to be hilarious is is watching Celtics fans tracking you know, Shanghai games to see how the Abuseli's doing and wherever ZZK ends up and, you know, if Abdel Nader goes overseas or is in the D-League. It's like Celtics fans are going to be – I'm already picturing in my mind a weekly how are the stashes doing entry because we're going to have to keep track of those. But getting back to Terry Rozier, someone who, just, who is obviously not going to be an overseas stash, um, I – do you think, just like you said, like we're we're sort of pegged him into that that rotation role, but you know it's hard to necessarily judge based on summer league alone, and we're going to have to see it kind of uh, whether it's in preseason or into the regular season before I think we're comfortable saying that he's ready to to, to really grab some of Evan Turner's minutes or or you know be a be one of their primary ball handlers. Um, there's a lot of guard depth there still. And as we just talked about with Gerald Green and, and finding minutes for him. Uh, so Terry's got a path and he's, he's put himself in a good position, but we, we, we still got to see it play out. I think we, just like you said, what the, what's most encouraging is it just looked like he, he was so much more comfortable this time around. And you, you can say it's that jump from year one to year two, but I mean, the playoffs were just three months ago, right? Like, it's not like it's been that long since we last saw him playing basketball and he just sort of maybe it's had the time to digest everything from his rookie season, but he just looked more comfortable out there. He made better decisions, got to showcase his athleticism and speed and all that more. Uh, It's an encouraging sign. Now he's got to carry it over, continue to build off it and show that he's ready to, uh, to bring that into a regular season performance. And I thought also, before we get to our final topic and I let you go, I also thought you brought up a really good point about Marcus Smart and that he may be filling a lot of that role. And we've seen him do some pretty special things. You want to talk about Swiss Army Knife? 
uh, he's a very, very, he's almost like the Draymond Green for the backcourt. The way that he's able to play multiple positions and box out Porzingis like he did last year, just insane. But this is the first offseason he's had that followed a season in the, in the NBA where he's been healthy. We saw him improve, not for the long haul, but definitely dividends from that Philadelphia snowed out game where he put up shots. <laughs> I think this offseason could, and he said it as much himself, hey, everybody knows I've got to improve my shooting, so that's what I'm working on, but this is the first offseason. So it's been kind of a, actually, I remember the last time you were on this show, it was a it was a discussion that John, you and I had about Marcus Smart and heading into this offseason, hopefully he could be healthy and really get the work in, and he might make the leap. And then the wind shares comes out, or not the wind shares, but you, you posted recently the statistics about him potentially making the leap. And I thought that's, that's absolutely impressive. And I, that's kind of what my hunch has been. Yeah. And, and listen, I'm unabashed Marcus smart fan club just because of the intangibles and, and the little glimpses we've seen. And I fully acknowledge he's got to be better, become a better shooter. But if that part of his game clicks, if he just improves just even a little bit, like if, if, even if he just starts making strides towards being, an average shooter, it's going to ease a lot of the concerns people have right now and, and, and give him some additional freedom to, to be a point guard and, and be a playmaker, uh, even or if he's playing off the ball, just the threat of making shots makes him more dangerous. Um, but listen, if, if all he ever does is play elite defense and bring that intensity and, and bring that energy, uh, Marcus Smart is, is, is could get, has an obvious impact when he's on the floor and that's a really encouraging sign for, for a younger player and beyond his draft position, just from everything we've seen, you just know that, that it's in there, that there's a chance that if, 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 if they can harness it and, and figure it out that um, there's a reason that 538 pegs him as a future all-star and that, you know, someone who's worth $156 million over the next five years, uh, Marcus can impact the game. And as long as that offensive side shows some progression, um, I, I'm really, really uh, optimistic about his ability to help this team this season. And again, I think part of it is is opportunity. And not to say that, that Marcus didn't have ample opportunity to, his first two seasons in the league, uh, but, you know, obviously, you know, I think two years ago, started a bunch of games at the end of his rookie season, slid into that reserve role last season, but still competing for ball handling duties with Evan Turner. It just seems to make a lot more sense now. You know, I, I'm not sure how exactly it'll play out and who will be paired with in that backcourt. Um, but I really like the idea of him getting a big uptick in minutes. I like the idea of him playing a lot of minutes with three-guard lineups, and I just think it's going to allow him to further showcase that versatility you, know, you you mentioned it. You know, it's the ability to guard everyone from 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 point guards to Porzingis, and uh, just not a lot of guys in this league can do that. And we know that Brad loves versatility. Um, I just think it, it 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 this if you're if you're if you're a Celtics fan hoping that you find that, that you're just like desperate for this next star, you know, Mark Smart isn't a bad fallback option here in terms of okay, they didn't go sign anybody who's proven and established, but Marcus is your best chance on this team for a home homegrown star at the moment, and uh, and maybe this is the year we we see if it if if he's capable of of that trajectory.
Yeah, if Rick Patino were here, we'd call him Chauncey Billups because he wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but final topic before before we uh, get you on out of here and wrap up. Jay Crowder, and when I say final topic, I mean probably three different topics on Jay Crowder. But <laughs> his response to Kevin Durant and the meeting and the fact that they basically laid out their game plan to Durant, he felt almost like betrayed. And, you know, I, I, I have my thoughts. They're well documented. I don't want to go down the Kevin Durant conversation road anymore. But I do want to say it was very interesting and almost validating for me and I'm sure many other fans that Crowder actually felt like the fans did about how all that went down. Yeah, I I, I, I like the the sort of man. How could you go join them and not us? Aspect of it. Like I don't. I think the the whole showing them the playbook thing is is overrated. And I'm not even sure Jay was really all that worked up about. I think the, the larger point that I took away from the quote is that. You know, he's mad that he said, like, hey, let's, look, we beat these two teams. You know, I, I know the Celtics haven't shown in the postseason, but here we've, we've shown we can do it in the regular season. Come join us. You make us instantly a contender, and we'll show the league that this team is capable of, of making that leap and being a title contender, even, even against these good teams. And then just feeling, like, frustrated that rather than – if he was going to leave Oklahoma city, instead of joining a team that could compete, he went and just joined a super team. And so I think that's frustrating to a lot of people around the league. Like, Oh, come on, you know, challenge. Some people embrace that challenge. And listen, some, some people have no other choice, like guys on other teams with contracts that, that, that's their situation. Of course, they're going to be frustrated when, when teams make their path to a title a little bit more uh, difficult. But my big takeaway from, from Jay is just that, you know, hey, he thinks this team is on the cusp. And he even said it, that he thinks they need a little bit more. And I don't know if Joe Green and Tyler Zeller were exactly what he, what he had in mind, but I think he understands that this team is moving in the right direction. It feels like a lot of Celtics fans do, that just need that one more impact guy, that one more known commodity, and maybe you're, you're uh, a little bit more surefire of a contender than, than what you've seen with just the moves that have been made uh, and, he, and, and he wants that just as much as the fans do. Well, and Durant basically said, do you guys have enough money to keep the guys that are here, here? And you have to think that Jay Crowder was one of the players, if not the top player that he was referencing when he said those comments. And so on some level, I'm sure Crowder feels a little bit spurned by that. To your point, from a competitive nature, we're right there. You were the piece, and then you spurned us when you just know how valuable a player like myself who's only making $7 million a year is. And we eat $7 million a year contracts for breakfast when we're winning championships. Let's go to Damari Carroll, because in that conversation, another thing that Crowder brought up was the fact that he wasn't really scared of, of Toronto even, that their sights were set on Cleveland. Now, again, I think innocuous statement really was just meant to say, listen, our target is eye on the prize, top dog in the division, everybody else, we can't worry about them, we got to go at number one. I think that was the true intent, but... Those comments got back to Damari Carroll, and he fires back and says basically that those are the words of somebody who's inexperienced and hasn't gotten any success in the postseason. That's only going to be more fuel for the fire for Crowder, don't you think? Oh, of course. You know, I, I, it's funny because J 
AJ's again just saying what what every Celtics fan is thinking. Like this is a wide open East. Why wouldn't you think that you're the second best team behind the Cavaliers? And you know they're the they're the torchbearers. They're the ones you're you're trying to go after, and they're the defending champs. Like listen, I think that's that's a pretty obvious statement. And you know the, the, I'm sure he wasn't trying to. Well, you know I don't think he really cares if he slights uh, a couple other playoff teams in the conference, but. Um, I, I just feel like that's what he's saying is that, is that they, they're the Celtics need to, to, to sort of take that next step. You know, one of the things he told me after that was that, you know, to be honest, if there is no addition, big, big addition that makes them that certified contender like we haven't seen yet, then Jay's one said that one of the main priority is just to get out of the first round. And so, you know, they want to see that progress, but you know, as soon as he said that, he said, "But you know, we also wanted to push the Cavs. It's just they don't want to. They they know the baseline expectation after two years in a row getting ousted in the first round is to get past that first round. But you don't want to just you know you don't want to, that's their floor. And then the ceiling, they want they they really believe that regardless of how this roster looks, they have a chance to to compete against someone like the Cavaliers against the Eastern Conference Finals." And, you know, hey, the, you can understand why they feel that way. The Celtics were, were, gave themselves a chance to be in that top three, top four teams in the league and again the tiebreaker situation. Um, I think Jay's just expressing what every, what every person in that locker room feels, that it's time to take another step forward. Well, and I'll, one last thing on Jay Crowder, just some almost throwaway comments that were posted up by Tom Westerholm of MassLive.com. But comments around this high ankle sprain, and I, the only reason I bring it up is I've had discussions with other of the more fan-based shows like Celtic Stuff Live here and some of their hosts, and there's been this long-standing criticism, and it even goes back to when Jim J.B. Metz was a co-host with me many, many years ago. Criticism levied at you know the doctors and the training staff of the Celtics, and I almost thought that these statements were vindicating of that sort of maybe maybe unfair criticism i don't really know i even though i have a background in the medical field i don't feel qualified to make any kind of a criticism when i have no information to go on and and nobody does but i will say this the fact that jay said that he basically played he never had a high ankle sprain before they were always of the low variety and he thought he could come back and play, and he admitted he should have rested it longer and that it hampered him in the postseason. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think part of it is he's just trying to explain why. You know, listen, we started following that playoff series. Like, every day it was a, a, a conversation. You could tell he was frustrated. He just was nowhere near 100%. Um, I think he felt good enough, and maybe it was adrenaline. Maybe it was just knowing that the team needed him back. I think he only missed like eight games after it in mid-March or whatever. So he came back start of April, late March um, and felt good enough in those first few games. But then, you know, I think he was surprised by how he regressed a bit. Um, maybe again, running off adrenaline, running off the, the just desire to be out there on the floor. Um, it caught up with him, but he also knew that once you go back out, you can't sit there, in the playoffs and say, Hey guys, you know, it's just not feeling right. I need to take a step back. And I'm sure the, the team doctors, if they thought he could had a real chance of re-aggravating or injuring himself long-term, they would have pulled him, you know, protected him from himself. 
they certainly did that with Avery Bradley. You know, we hear Avery say after he tweaks that hamstring in game one that he wants to be back, you know, for game two. And, and the Celtics were, to their credit, cautious enough with him to say, hey, you know, even once they got the series to go a little bit longer, that it was unlikely at, at any point that Avery was going to come back because they just didn't want him to, to, to jeopardize his future in any way by rushing to be out there. But, you know, you hear Jay say that just two weeks ago, his ankle finally stopped hurting. And, you know, then I looked at the calendar and I'm sitting there going, wait, that's two months after the season ended that his ankle finally started to feel better. Uh, it's sort of, you know, some will say, it was sort of the, 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 the more skeptical will say that it's explaining away a, a, a bad postseason. I give him the benefit of the doubt and say he's just trying to give context about why he struggled and why he didn't feel himself. And I think that, as much as anything, will motivate Jay Crowder going forward. Uh, that and the all-defensive team snub, which cost him some money. And, uh, you know, all that all that combined, I, uh, I don't think you need to worry about Jay Crowder having, having motivation to continue to, to build off what he's done heading into the new season untradeable after all of that the way he's endeared himself to the fans and really his his effort i'm just gonna put that right on him untradeable chris you've been so generous with your time but i have to ask you before you go if the rumors are true as you are probably aware Bobby Manning, uh, also host of the Bobcast right here on CLNS Radio, met Jay King at Washington Street and got dispatched, dispatched by Jay King. Now, I want to know if the rumors are true that that now you are calling Jay out for, you know, <laughs> listen, maybe some like a, a a real match, you know, somebody who could really who could really give him a run for his money on the court. Any truth to those rumors? I would I would need to to get myself on the court and in the gym and trade for for much of the summer to have any chance of not embarrassing myself. Jay in his uh, 57 rec league games uh, a week uh, it has to be in better shape than me. And uh, for a player who's who I could I could have sworn I heard him say like 20 times that his his basketball career was over, and then in the next day he's got a, a rec league game. Um, I, I, I would probably beg off any part of, uh, the J King experience for, uh, for a bit. Uh, it's hard enough when we do our, our, our games of, of horse and sevens on the road, uh, him and him and Bach are, are too good of shooters to, for me to, to, to offer a, uh, to, uh, issue a, a public challenge. Let me, uh, let me get off the golf course and let me get, get, run some sprints and, and, and maybe I'll, I'll get to a point where I wouldn't completely embarrass myself. (laughs) Chris, thanks a lot for having fun with us on the show. And you really were generous with your time. And nobody has a bigger, big picture perspective than yourself. We really ran the gamut of the topics on on today's show. I'm really thankful again to have you back on. Uh, You're wonderful. You should have your own podcast, quite frankly, (laughs) as I mentioned before. But I appreciate you helping ours be so great. And uh, we'll definitely be having you back on maybe after you get at least, what, 10, 12 rounds of golf in under your belt. And we're coming back and can't believe the summer's gone. And we're we're looking at analyzing training camp and, and some of the competition. Let's do it. I can't wait to like break down these positional battles, and we'll be we'll be we'll be all sort of amped up again back in uh, in September. We'll we'll crank it right back up.
This week's interview with Chris Forsberg is brought to you by Loot Crate, a monthly subscription box service for geeks, nerds, comic book lovers, and pop culture aficionados. For less than $20 a month, subscribers receive a mystery box containing at least $45 worth of collectibles, figurines, apparel, and memorabilia. So from bad guys doing things for the wrong reason and good guys with questionable tactics... August is the perfect time to explore the anti-hero. Walk the hero-villain line with this 100% exclusive collection of items from DC Comics, Archer, Dark Horse, and Kill Bill that includes two great collectibles, a wearable, and of course, our monthly tee. And don't forget the pin. Head to lootcrate.com backslash CLNS and enter the code CLNS to save $3 on any new subscription. So once again... Chris Forsberg from ESPN Boston, just doing an amazing job on the show. And quite frankly, to give us an entire hour of his day is pretty generous. And I just thought we went all the way around the horn, covered all the off-season topics, and just gave a nice summary so that everybody can sit back, relax a little bit, and take stock of the fact that the Celtics really did have quite a nice offseason. I don't think it can be understated how much Al Horford is going to mean for this team, the flexibility that they have, and I'm really intrigued into what's going to happen with Gerald Green. I still feel a little iffy about that signing, but again, super low risk, not a big concern for this team, and trades could still be brewing. As I mentioned at the outset, and as we talked about with Chris, there's still about six days left in July, so certainly we're all going to be anchored to Twitter, maybe not like we were on July 4th, but anchored to Twitter, waiting for the next breaking move. However, I think it's very unlikely. I think we should all just sit back, maybe go get those rounds of golf in. I know I won't be playing Jay King in any one-on-one pickup basketball either, uh, to Chris's point, but I will say this. I think it's time for everybody to just enjoy the summer, get out there with your families and relax a little bit, because guess what? We're going to pick it all right back up where we left off when training camp comes or the minute a deal gets announced on Twitter. So I'm going to wrap the show. We're going to be back next week, John and myself. The broadcast is going to be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin and my co-host John Duke at CSL underscore Duke as well as the entire show and all the announcements every week when the show comes out at CSL underscore Tweet Live. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in and you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher and don't forget to give us a rating and a review. Your feedback's important to us but more importantly we want to know how we're doing. This show is for you and so we want your feedback so we can make it better and more enjoyable for the listener as a reminder today's show brought brought to you by loot crate and fan essentials great deals for all of you listeners but just most importantly you'd be supporting our show and the entire clns radio network so just go to lootcrate.com, use the promo code clns to save three dollars on your subscription or go to fanessentials.net and use the promo code cls 
pass CSL 2016 to save 30% on your first month. Once again, a big thanks to all of you, the loyal CLNS radio audience who makes it all worthwhile, and for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, and the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso. I'm Justin Poulin, and for my co-host who wasn't able to make it today, thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.